Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. I've got a couple of weekends um, in a row here. I, I just want to remind us again of the prophetic outline of what God was saying to us at the beginning of 2017. Can anyone remember the, the prophetic theme? Others. Others. As the Lord challenged us to not only be lovers of God, but the great commandment, not just to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, but to love your neighbour as yourself. And, uh, and that as we allow the Holy Spirit to help us have eyes to see the needs of others, God can transmit His, His uh, message into our hearts to get our faith down to our feet and begin to touch the lives of others by His grace. You know, it's only a consumeristic model, a model of church that says, come and attend where we turn ourselves into uh, like, a, like a, a modern day mall offering products for those that would want to come and consume the services that we have. That's not church, friends. That's the world. You know, God's calling us to be a people of faith, a people of power, a people of praise, and a people who have a heart that beats strongly for others. And so I really want God to just minister to our hearts today. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray today, Father, that the word of God would have that power to divide between soul, what's soulish, what's of us, and what's spiritual, what is of you. So today, Lord, let that double-edged sword penetrate every heart in this place. Let your grace come upon me, Holy Spirit, to be able to communicate your heart this morning to our congregation in the name of Jesus. Well, the Lord gave himself, gave two foundational scriptures for every believer, two foundational commandments. The first one is that Jesus said that the way of the Gentiles was that people would serve their kings and their rulers. But he said, however... I want to tell you straight between the eyes today, it's not so with you. For those of you that follow me, that's not how I want you to live your life. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be, you might be saying to me, oh, Pastor James, that counts me out because I don't even want to be great anyway. So I'll just sit back and let everybody else serve me. You know, there, there is, when the moment the Spirit of God comes inside of you, when you are born again, you are a new creation. Something incredible takes place where we receive a transformation and God's power is implanted directly, spirit to spirit. God's Holy Spirit enters the human body and makes us alive to God in Christ. Amen. And we now have an umbilical cord directly to heaven through that spirit birth. And inside of you, there will arise godly ambitions. There will arise within you new desires that you never had before. That's what God is talking about. Doing great things for the kingdom of God. Well, friends, it will involve you serving other people in some way. That's how people get to know Jesus. That's how people come to the, into the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Jesus in Mark 10, 45, gave his own life as an example. 
And he said, the son of man did not come to be served. He had every right. He was the potentate, the ruler of the universe who came as a man to the earth. He was the son of man and he was the son of God. He had every right for the world to serve him. But he said, I, even I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. There's the connection. Some people think it's having a big financial portfolio on Wall Street. Some people think it's owning a whole lot of property. That's the way that you're going to get influence. Some people think it's networking in amongst the community that you're going to gain, gain, gain great influence. But Jesus said two words, to serve and to give. To serve and to give. You ask anyone who's in education, for example, about giving and serving. Because the government doesn't provide all the funds that they need to make their ship work properly. And so they find that they've got to find extra ways of drawing the community in and serving their community. And so they, walk, they work hours and hours after the clock's gone off in order to serve their community. What for? To give them education. How much more? The gospel of Jesus Christ. This life-changing, eternal uh, thing that God has placed within our lives that we have this incredible responsibility to serve and to give. God says, none of those things out there last. My definition is very, very different. If you want to make a lasting impact, you need to learn how to give and to serve into people's lives. Amen. Amen. You know, um, God says the way up is down. In the world, it's get on the ladder Climb over everybody else in order to get to the top. But God says, if you want to get to the top of my kingdom, you've got to learn how to descend, not ascend. And you've got to learn how to wash people's feet, not, not physically, but you've got to learn to wash people's feet spiritually and learn how to serve them. Amen? And so Jesus summarized the whole of Christianity with those two words, to give and to serve. Well, this morning I, I want to look at one word in the context of this message today. One word that I want to, that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to echo into our hearts today. And it's the word spent. Spent. How many of us have had moments in our life where we've tried everything and nothing is working? We've expended money, we've expended time, we've expended energy, and we've got to the end of our rope, so to speak. That famous Kiwi saying, the end of our tether. And you know what we are? We're spent. We've exhausted all of our human resources and still we don't have what we need. And it's often in those moments of being literally spent and exhausted, at the end of your rope, that God says, welcome, because I'm about to introduce change. Amen. I'm about to do something in your life that requires supernatural intervention. Now that you've finished coming to the end of yourself, now I can begin to move. Amen. What did Jesus, uh, what did Paul say? He said, when you are weak, then Christ is made perfect in your weaknesses. How many of you feel weak this morning? Well, you're positioned for the Spirit of God 
to do something new in your life today. And I want to introduce this message with one key verse today, Matthew 10, 38, Jesus' words again, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does that sound Irish to you? It sounds pretty Irish to me. It's one of those upside down idioms, those things that Christ said, the hard sayings of Jesus that you've got to wrap your spirit around before your mind can get it. Let me read it again. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it today. Somehow, clinging to this life and putting all your resources into this life, trying to find it, you're going to lose it. But when you become spent for the kingdom of God, when you allow the Spirit of God to work in and through you in such a way that you're walking in uh, synchronicity, (laughs) synchronicity, when your life is synced, with the kingdom of heaven, and you're prepared to lose it, God says you're going to gain something special that you'll never be able to get any other way. You see, when we get spent for the world, God wants to pick our life up. And He says, right now, if you're prepared to lose your life with me, if you're prepared to allow me to come through your life and to be spent for the kingdom of heaven, then you're going to find something special, something anointed within your life today. The dictionary has three meanings for the word spent. To be consumed or exhausted, he became a spent force. We don't like that. We don't like that. We're out with that definition today. Second one, to pass time in a particular manner, place. For example, I was preaching in Wellington last week. I spent a few days in Wellington. Well, we're not talking about that this morning either. What are we talking about? The third definition, to give one's blood, to give one's life. For some cause, I want to talk to us today about how Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to first sit down and count the cost. No man goes to make a tower except he first sits down to see if he's got the resources to finish it because you'd look pretty stupid having a half-built tower and all of a sudden you said, I'm sorry, I haven't got the resources because I never did my homework at the start. And so through this scripture this morning, we're talking about a life spent for the kingdom of God, a life spent in service, a life spent in prayer, a life spent in sharing the gospel, a life spent in giving to others, a life spent in giving into the house of God, a life spent because you're prepared to lose your life in order to gain it. We can think of many examples in the Scripture. I think of Moses this morning. Moses, who was a Hebrew, but raised in the house of Egypt, in the house of Pharaoh, educated in the finest universities of Egypt, had the finest linen, the finest clothes. He had the finest of everything. But one day, something really began to niggle in his heart because it was an issue of identity. And friends, can I say this, that many of us are going through major identity crises until we come to the understanding that we have Abba, Daddy, Papa God, who loves us and cares for us unconditionally. We're not orphaned anymore. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but you're my kids. You're my sons and daughters. And when that sinks in, something 
takes place within your life where you have an identity in Christ. And when you have that identity, like Moses, he was, he, he was raised as an Egyptian, but somehow he knew in his heart of heart that wasn't his real identity. His real identity was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And one day he finds two guys fighting and he steps into the situation and he murders one of them. And then a, a contract goes out against him. And so he takes off and for 40 years he was spent chasing sheep in the desert. For 40 years, at the age of 40, he committed murder. And then 40 years, he's now learning how to live his life completely different, being spent for God by learning the upside down ways of the kingdom, of learning not to be a ruler, but learning how to be a shepherd. Learning how to care for people, because he was about to give an assignment to care for 2 million people. So God had to prepare him over a long period of time. The second phase of his life was all in preparation for that encounter that he had in the burning bush where God spoke to him, where he saw a bush on fire, but it was never consumed. And then the Lord spoke to him and gave him his assignment out of that encounter with him. And then Moses was ready. He was still reluctant. He was reluctant. You know why he was reluctant? He was reluctant because he knew what he was capable of in his old life and he didn't want to go back doing it the old way. He knew he had to be spent for the kingdom of God in a new way. And that was to rely completely on the resources of heaven. I think of Samson, the judge of Israel. Gifts pouring out of his ears. An anointing, a unique anointing in the Bible where he had an anointing of supernatural strength where he could just click his fingers and everybody would come running. And he was a thorn in the side of Israel's enemies. But he had one problem, and that he was spending his resources on the wrong type of woman. The one that took his fancy. The one that wasn't from the tribe of Israel, but the one that was from outside the tribe of Israel. And he was distracted and as a result of that, he lets the secret of his strength out to Delilah. She cuts his hair while he's asleep. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes out of his slumber and goes to deal to the Philistines, except his hair's been cut and he's got no strength. He's captured. He's mocked. They, they begin to make jokes about Samson until one day after all of his hair has been chopped off, after a period of time, his hair begins to grow back. They parade him in front of a whole arena and audience of people to mock him and to put him down. You see, friends, Samson knew what it was like to be spent in the wrong kingdom. And now he had an awakening moment. And in that moment of ridicule, of persecution and being put down. In that moment, he had a turnaround situation take place in his life. And he realized that God was still with him. And he became literally spent, a one-time act of martyrdom that cost him his own life as he took out hundreds of Philistines at the expense of his own life as he busted those pillars apart and he became spent as he served and gave his life for the kingdom of Israel.
And then lastly, this morning, the person I want to talk about that had the most remarkable turnaround was a man called Saul, who was a one-eyed religious bigot who could only see one way. And when these people of the way started appearing and influencing the people of Israel, he got on his high horse and he literally was standing there when people were killed for the kingdom of God. As Stephen was martyred, Saul was there throwing his clothes into the middle of the situation, approving that this man's life be taken by stoning through death. Everybody was scared of him. And literally he was spending all of his resources to hunt down Christians in order to kill them and put them in prison. And so he's on his way to take some more Christians into prison and he has a divine encounter. You see, friends, I believe, I believe the time that we spend as a church in prayer I believe that when Jesus said my Father's house was a house of prayer, that's not optional. I believe when we pray and I believe that when we fast, we're setting, we're setting the tone for people like Saul to become Paul's who have a turnaround moment in their life because God has managed to get a hold of them. Every single one of you that have come to Christ, did you know that somebody prayed for you? Did you know that somebody spent time giving and serving of themselves before the throne room of heaven in order for you to have an encounter with God? Can I ask you this morning, who are you serving and who are you on your knees for? Who are you praying for on a regular basis to come to know Jesus? Because that's another way of serving and being spent for the kingdom of heaven today. And so Saul has this turnaround moment. The problem is, is that in the moment when he says, Who is that? God responds in the brilliant bright light and says, it's me, Saul, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he's literally blinded. He can't see. And he's taken off up into uh, Antioch and up into the, the heart of the country where he's been going. And he can't do anything because he can't see. And I want us to take the scripture and read it from the Bible this morning from Acts 9 verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. That's a word of knowledge right there. Who's there? And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. No pressure, Ananias. He's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. That was an understatement right there, okay? He'd been killing Christians. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. There's three things I want to point out to you in this encounter to do with giving and serving the kingdom of God and being spent for God's purposes. The first thing, friends, is that 
Paul understood right from the get-go through this commission that he had that he was to live for God's purposes and not for his own agenda. Verse 15. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. There was no room. Samson got distracted. He got self-absorbed. He adopted his own agenda. He forgot about being a judge of Israel and a ruler. He forgot about living a life of example. He just expended resources upon himself. And he had no, he had no uh, mandate in his life for living as a spent force for the kingdom of God. And right here on day one, Saul is instructed, if you want to live an effective life for my kingdom, if you want to be spent for the kingdom of God, then I want you to get this straight in your life, uh, Saul. And, and this is this, is that this isn't about you anymore. This is about my kingdom, my purposes. This is about aligning your life with what I've called you to do and to be in the kingdom of God. You know, this is the ultimate test. And last month we finished a series called Eternal Perspectives. And two messages in that series highlighted the reality that we all got to face. Our loved ones and ourselves will one day have to stand before Almighty God, either as a believer or as an unbeliever. And as a believer, you and I will have to stand before God. And you know what happens down that day that that's going to define that moment in our lives? is how we spent our time while here on earth. And the Bible says there's two, going to be two outcomes. One, if you spent your life doing what God asked you to do, that's heaven's agenda, then there will be rewards given out to you. But if you've spent your life as a Christian still hanging on to your own cause and your own thing, then the Bible says you're still going to be saved, but it will be all the stuff that you've done in your life will be burnt up and as left as ashes, wood, hay and straw. You will be saved, but you will suffer the loss of reward. 1 Corinthians 3. So the Lord is directly giving Saul the foundation for his ministry. This is about heaven's agenda. This is about spending your life serving me and what I've called you to do. You know why we sometimes get miserable as believers? We get miserable because we got distracted and we went off course. And we started pursuing stuff that God had never set up for us. And as a result, you don't actually suffer. You suffer loss now. You know what the loss is? The loss is spiritual emptiness within your soul because you're trying to still find your life when Jesus said you need to lose it in order to find me. Second thing is that God wants us to live life looking through His eyes, His lens, and not through our own. The Bible tells us in the story that scales fell from Saul's eyes at that point. And guess what? He was seeing his world in a whole new way. So often spiritual cataracts are causing us a lack of vision and sight because we're trying to serve God with these eyes that haven't been opened to the possibilities of what God's... You know, what's the, that's what the word vision means. If we haven't got vision, we haven't got foresight. 
If we haven't got vision, we can't see ahead what God wants us to do. He said to, he said to Habakkuk, stand on the wall and look and see what I will say to you. Isn't that amazing? He says, see, you'd think he'd say, hear what I'm about to tell you. Now he says, see what I'm about to tell you. What does that mean? It means that God's given us, all of us, spiritual eyes to see, but we've got to clear away the spiritual junk and the rubbish so that we can see with God's viewpoint and His lens over our life. Can I hear an amen this morning? And so I've noticed this, is that when we allow other distractions and agendas to come our way that God hasn't prepared for us, You remember Ephesians 2.10? God has prepared beforehand good works that we should walk in them. In other words, there's preordained agenda from heaven for your life. You're not the master of your destiny, God is. He said, I've preordained these good works for you to walk in. I've set them out in front of you, but it's up to you to seek me to find out what they are. Amen. That's the privilege that we have is to seek God to find out what he has in store for our lives. So when we die, this is what happens. We develop eyes of cynicism. All we can see is that we get critical, we become cynical, we begin to doubt. And as a result of that, we pollute our spirit. And our spirit gets polluted because we're not looking through the lens of God's eyes. And this is very easy to do, friends. All of us, there's no one exempt from this. No pastor, no leader, there's no one exempt from this if you have become distracted, if you've become disillusioned, and if your eyes have lost sight of serving and being spent for the kingdom of God, then you develop these spiritual cataracts of cynical and, and, and in the end, this is what happens, is that you don't trust anybody's word anymore. And so what you do is that you become suspicious of everything. You develop the gift of <laughs> suspicion. <laughs> or you develop eyes of unbelief. Paul couldn't see what God was doing when he was Saul. But when the scales came off his eyes and he had that moment with God, suddenly he could see and he could believe in Jesus. And he was able to move forward with faith in his heart. And he, as you know, you know, Paul, Paul saw more miracles than anyone else in the New Testament apart from Jesus himself. Wherever he went, signs and wonders followed the preaching of the word. Why? Because he had faith in his heart that God wanted to use him in that way. Or we develop eyes of prejudice. We become like he was, a one-eyed Jewish Pharisee. And uh, as you are probably aware, the Jews are very one-eyed in their outlook. That's why so many people hate them around the world. But this is what can happen to us, is that we we have unchecked and unchallenged prejudices within our life. And I, I, I really laugh uh, at the way the Lord moves. Prior to me becoming a Christian, I had developed a very bad prejudice towards one race that had begun to come into New Zealand. And I was kind of a bit like old Winnie. And I had this thing about these race of people coming in here and trying to take over our country and blah, 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 blah. 
And, uh, and, and I also I said this to the Lord when he told me that he's called me to go to the nations. I said, I'll go anywhere, but don't send me here. <laughs> Guess where I go every year? <laughs> Not naming any names uh, this morning. Uh, but God had to develop, he had to develop within me the ability for me to see that race as he sees them. And for the truth that he loves them just as much as he loves me. And so I had to get rid of that prejudice out of my life. And, uh, you know, if you don't do that, guess who will become your next neighbor? <laughs> That's the way the Lord works. Or we, we, we develop other prejudices. Do you remember? Do you remember the great man, Peter, who preached at Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved under his anointed preaching. And he goes to visit Paul and he's talking with all the brothers and he's having meals with them. And then a whole lot of Jews turned up. And you know what he did? He separated himself from the Gentiles and he would only eat with his Jewish friends because the Jewish people as a nation, it's unclean for you to share a meal with a non-Jewish person. And so here's Peter compromising his values as a new believer and an apostle. And Paul had him on about it. He wrote about it in Galatians chapter 2. And he took Peter to task and he said, you're a hypocrite, Peter. You're a great man, but you're a hypocrite because you've got eyes of racial prejudice. And when, you're, when your brothers turn up from Jerusalem, you wouldn't eat with us any longer because you just wanted to, you didn't want that stigma of eating with Gentile people. And so God, if God called it on the Apostle Peter, friends, I want to tell you, He'll call it on you. And so He wants us to open our eyes so that we can see, let the scales fall off areas that we may have these things in. And of course, eyes of distraction, eyes of distraction. We lose our focus, we lose our way, we're on track and then things come across our desk, they come across our mailbox, and we begin to lose focus on what God has called us to do. So easy for that to happen within our lives. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4. This is a list of Paul's co-workers. He's writing to Timothy and he says this, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? There's a reason. Here's the reason. For Demas has forsaken me. There's one of his helpers. Having, there's the reason, having loved this present world. Distraction, distraction, distraction. Eyes off the prize and all of a sudden, chasing, trying to fill his life. He who gains his life will lose it. He who loses it for my sake will find it. Demas is now trying to find life in another source other than Christ himself. And he forsakes the Apostle Paul. This is his, this is his traveling companion. This is his, this is his helper that's supposed to be right there by his side. He's forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Then he says, Christians has gone to Galatia, worker number two. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So sometimes we think we have problems at times where we may feel we're all alone serving the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you, it's the same for everybody. Human nature is the same through history and time. Everywhere we go, we all have the same issues. And Paul had the issue too, and that was that his co-workers couldn't stick with him. 
and they forsook him. Eyes that became distracted. And what I love about this passage is that get Mark and bring him with you for he's useful to me for the ministry. Here's, here's a little push for God giving people a second chance. Mark is the writer of the gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. He's the writer, but on the previous missions trip, he said, I'm homesick. I want to go home to mummy and my three course meals. I'm see this is too tough being on the road with you, Paul. I'm gonna go back to mummy. <laughs> and literally halfway through the missions trip, he leaves Paul high and dry. And for years, Paul had a real issue about Mark. Don't want to know him? No, nah, he forsaken me. He let me down. He let me down. No, we're not having him on the next trip. I don't know. He'll probably leave me high and dry again. And here he is later on in life. He's saying now something has happened with the grace of God. The God of the second, third, fourth and fifth chance got a hold of Paul's spirit and said to him, Bring Mark with you because he is useful for the ministry. Isn't that great to know that God won't leave us when we go through difficult times and seasons, but he'll get us back on the horse again and we can run with the Lord. Hallelujah. So can I finish uh, with this today is this. How do we see what God sees? How do we get a vision from God? Here's a very simple verse of Scripture. Matthew 5 verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Don't allow grit in your spirit. Don't allow unforgiveness. Don't allow offence to cause a stumbling block in your life because it will take you out. It is the bait of Satan it is the trap of the devil. And I know, I look out on some of you and I know some of your stories. As a congregation, I know some of the stuff that you guys have been through. I know some of the challenges that you're facing. Some of you are facing them right now. Massive, massive personal challenges within your life. And you know what? Can I just give you a plug for this today? Never let go of the hand of God in the middle of your circumstances. Because I want to tell you, as hard and as tough as your challenges may be today, how do I know? Because I've been through them as a pastor. Many, many times, time and time again, I've been over and through those challenges and God's had to give me the strength to leap over those hurdles when it would be so easy to become cynical, critical, unbelieving, doubtful, filled with fear instead of faith. Allowing offences of people who have let me down over the years. Allowing those, those things within my heart to pollute the purity of what God deposits in your life when you get saved. There is a brand new day. There's a brand new start within your spirit. And all the devil wants to do is he wants to muddy up the waters of our heart and cause offence and grit to get in your spirit. You know you've got grit in your spirit. It's because you can't face that person. You don't want to talk to that person. Every time you think about that person, you have an attitude in your heart and in your spirit. God wants to deliver you from the grit of that. You know why it's so important? Because if you don't, you can't see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
it may be time for you this morning to hit the eject button. Get that grit. Get that offence. A number of years ago, I had a brother come to me at the end of the service, and he said, I've just found out that my, that my whole family colluded together seven years ago to deny me my inheritance as the oldest son in our family. And it was only a half share of an inheritance. And I said, how much is it? And he said, $10 million. This is a true story. Two brothers, five million each, and the family had colluded together because he was a believer, the only believer in the family, to deny him of his rightful inheritance of five million dollars. And you know what's even more disturbing? They gave him a little box of trinkets of his uncle. This is this was his uncle's uh, inheritance. It was his uncle's money. And his mother had called a meeting seven years before and they all agreed that they would cut him out of the will because he was a Christian. He didn't know any of this inside the little box of trinkly rubbish that his, they gave him from his uncle was a little notebook where his uncle had recorded the meeting and what had been said in the meeting. Can you imagine the depth of hurt and the level of offence. Not only this, because this brother is a giver, and this brother, I'm thinking as a pastor, yeah, I'm mad too, because man, some of that could have been helpful for building the kingdom of God. You know? And that was his heart. His heart was to actually build the kingdom of God. And he said, what I could do with $5 million to build the kingdom of God right now. And you know what? I had to have the job as his pastor to get him to the, come to the point, instead of going to litigation, which would have destroyed everything and would have robbed him of his spiritual inheritance, to go against the courts with his own family to get him to the point of turning the other cheek. I want to tell you that was a mission. That was a mission. But you know what? Seven or eight years later, I can sit down and have a conversation with that man and we can have great fellowship and there's not an ounce of offence in his spirit because he got the grit out of his spirit and he realised how expensive it could have been for his walk with God. Could we stand to our feet this morning, church? Paul literally finished his life. Can I have the last scripture up there, Sue? Being poured out for a drink offering. I want you to read this with me this morning from, from Timothy. As for me, this is a description of someone who's been living a spent life for the kingdom of God. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the great day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return.
What are you spending your life on, church? Can I be an intermediary and a voice of the Spirit in your ear this morning and ask you, because you're better to sort this out now rather than have to sort it out before the King of Kings at his judgment seat. Are you spending your life serving God's purposes and his agenda or have you got stuck? Has grit got into your spirit and are you finding it so difficult to move forward because of what someone did, someone said, of how someone treated you and as a result, you've lost traction You've lost momentum. Let's close our eyes for a moment.